Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast with me, Sebastian Noren, the Swede, and Elliot Niblock, the Yank. So, we got a lot to go through here after match week three. We yeah, just, no weather updates today. We got to get right into it. Yeah, we got to get right into it. I was going to say it's been a tough, tough day for me personally on a footballing level. First, I saw my dear hometown teen IFK Gothenburg lose 2-1 to one in the like basically the last minute of a game. And then United got spanked by Tottenham 3 nothing. So uh, uh, it's it's been a rough one. Luckily, I mean, luckily, I did do some baking last night, so I have chocolate bourbon balls waiting for me in the fridge. <laughs> that was an unexpected silver lining, Seb, I yes. have to say. I would not have guessed that. Yep, so I can eat and get my booze on. which is Simultaneously. Uh, yeah. Two for one. Yep. So, Two for one to make up for the three for nil. Exactly, exactly. So we'll jump into that game first. Tottenham taking a nice 3 nothing win on the road against Manchester United. Harry Kane scored once and Lucas Moura scored a brace. And initially in this game, first half, I was pleasantly surprised. United were a lot more direct. They were actually looking like they wanted to go forward. They created some chances. But I don't know what the hell happened during halftime. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they they really didn't get a chance to settle into the second half. I mean, getting hit with both barrels in the 50 and 52nd minute. And by then, then they just kind of looked, for the most part, dazed. I mean, they did create some chances in the second half. But yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I was surprised, even I'll say it, pleasantly surprised uh, to see how free-flowing and attacking their football was in the first half. Pleasant, not merely because I'm an Arsenal supporter, so I tend to err against Tottenham, but also merely from a neutral perspective that, you know, that's the kind of football we want to see played at Old Trafford. Uh, You know, the the theater of dreams has basically been the theater of dreamless sleep under the management of Jose Mourinho. Uh, But for all of that swagger with which they, you know, strutted around in the first half, I think that you've got to point the finger at Lukaku and ask why he didn't bury that chance in the 16th minute. And that, for me, I think is the moment in which this game really turned, even though United did continue to create chances after that. But I don't I don't want to hear how it was a tough angle. He had time and space past the goalkeeper. He could have even, he could have probably taken a touch. He would have had to have beaten a player trying to clear it off the line. He certainly could have picked his head up. He did neither one, and he sent it about five inches wide of the post when he really should have scored. No, that's true, and I think if United would have gotten that first goal, it would have been a totally different game. And, you know, Mourinho said after the game he thought they should have been up by two at halftime, and I tend to agree with him there. But then they just, like you said, they got hit early in the second half. 
and then they just struggled to sort of recover from that. Spurs definitely found their game more in the second half. I, I think that they were not playing up to their capabilities in the first half, and United failed to take advantage of that. Absolutely, and I think that really this is a game, though, that you know we're going to hear a lot of talking points in terms of Harry Kane, he's back, he's scoring in August, oh my goodness, what does that mean for his goal total? But for me, Lucas had a phenomenal game. Even before he got on the score sheet and got his brace in the first half, I thought he looked really dangerous. He had one particular uh, shot that, you know, he he took the ball into the area really well and a left-footed curling shot that went, you know, not just just wide. It was farther wide than Lukaku, but it was also a chance that he fashioned totally by himself. I mean, he's a player that I've had a lot of time for, you know, since he came over from Brazil, to be honest. And I was surprised to some extent that he was let go by PSG. I mean, I know that they've kind of got the infinite money cheat code, uh, and now they also have Neymar. So, you know, trim the wage bill, get a little money in. I get it. But, boy, he's a player that when I saw he was going to Tottenham, it, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, it made me scared. It should make Tottenham supporters thrilled. And I think we've only just barely begun to see what he can bring to this Tottenham team. And I hate to say it, but he he could be the difference between a Tottenham being Tottenham and a Tottenham lifting silverware in 2019. Mm. Yeah, definitely looked very, very good. You know, alleviate some of that pressure on Harry Kane, too, even though he is scoring in August. So all around, you know, if you're Spurs, you travel home, three points, three goals, clean sheet, you're happy. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the Spurs supporters certainly looked happy in the way, and that's, that's inarguable. I mean, they, they also, you know, Harry Kane broke his duck in terms of ending his scoring drought at Old Trafford, and I don't think, I don't think that... I don't think that you can... Okay, I have I have a lot of ire for and am quick to criticize Jose Mourinho, but it's hard, on the one hand, to point the finger at him for this loss, yet at the same time, it was really Ander Herrera who was totally at fault for the second goal. You know, he was just caught out at sixes and sevens, and... That's what happens when you know you need three really solid center halves to play with a back three. And he just stuck under Herrera in there. And it kind of worked for the first half when they were going forward. And then you saw what was arguably, possibly bound to happen eventually, him get caught out as not being an out-and-out defender in the second half. Yeah. No, I, uh, Mourinho made a lot of ch- uh, changes from the guy, game against Brighton. Um, you know, I understand that. And like I said, the first half looked pretty good, but they didn't get anything to show for it. And it was interesting to see Mourinho after the game. You know, he went over to the supporters. He was clapping his hands afterwards. And uh, he, he clapped his hands for a long time. Yeah, yeah, a long time. And then in the interview afterwards in the tunnel, he was talking about how the fans are amazing and, the, you know, talking about how they all need to come together and yada, yada, yada. I mean, is this not a sure sign that he's feeling the pressure? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and yet at the same time, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, I am quick to criticize Jose Mourinho. And I think for good reason. You know, I think that 
it's the things that he's done down the years, it's difficult not to call his character into question when it comes to certain ways that he carries himself around a football club. But at this end, I mean, and even though I can still find, I'll, I'll put a spin on it in a moment, but I'll say the nice thing before I spin it. <laughs> I mean, I, I do, I do have some respect for that, right? You know, it costs a lot of money to see a premier league match anywhere these days. And it costs, a mint to get a ticket to Old Trafford when they're playing a top six side. Oh yeah, and you know, in some sense, he recognized that, right? You know, and it wasn't, you know, it's Jose. You're not going to get a lot of mea culpas from Jose, but it's as close as that comes, right? You know, recognizing we should have played poor, but we should have played better. We played poorly. You paid a lot of money to watch us play poorly, and yeah, good on you. Applaud the fans. Yep. Now that's that's the the kind thing that I'm gonna immediately spin. He, in doing so, literally turned his back on his players right after the match. Now I don't mean to say that that means he's going to do that figuratively, but the the symbolism is rightly or wrongly pretty obvious as the players are going into the tunnel and he turns his back to them and just stares at the fans and applauds them for almost like two minutes, which doesn't, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you think about just standing in place on the touchline, clapping your hands and staring into the stands, 120 seconds is a while. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I, we, I don't want to linger too much on Mourinho and Manchester United because we do have a lot of other things to talk yes. about, but... How far can this go? So if we take a look at their upcoming games here, if he's not, do you feel like he should be fired this week, first and foremost? Just a quick No, guess. absolutely no. Okay. not. Absolutely not. I okay. mean, if I were you, Seb, I would want to just because it would be my club and I want to see them play an attacking swagger football. But he, he at least he at least tried that. You know, he tried that. It just it didn't come off. Yeah. So their next five upcoming games, Burnley away, Watford away, Wolves at home, West Ham away, and then Newcastle at home. If they don't get three wins out of those five games, he should go. Then I, you got then you yeah. have two weeks between that Newcastle game and the match day nine fixture away to Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think that it, it depends. It depends on how that is borne out, right? Because if they, if if in those getting those three wins, if they get three on the trot, you know, if they beat a struggling Burnley team, and then which is doable even though it's on the road, if they're able to beat a surging Watford, which all credit to Watford, but you know, it's still not necessarily the trickiest team with all points on the table at this point, nine out of nine. And then they beat Wolves at Old Trafford. I think that if he wins those three consecutively and then drops points against West Ham and Newcastle, even if he manages to lose both of those games, I still don't see him getting fired before Chelsea. No, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And it's, Kind you know, there's been a lot of rumors that you know if he would to go, Zinedine Zidane would come in, which you know sounds pretty good, but at the same time, Zidane, he was in charge of Real Madrid, who had a phenomenal team and a team with a lot of confidence. This team is broken. Yeah, I mean, I think that those rumors are 
clickbait, to be honest. And that's not to say that I don't think that Zidane might be interested in the job, but I think that Zidane is, he's a smart man, right? And he understands that he's in the same position that Pep was when he took time off after Barcelona. You know, this is the the club that he made his name at as a manager. And then Zidane having, you know, like, of course, he's a legend as a Galactico on the field already, but, you know, has established himself as, okay, I'm not just a legendary player, but I do have a mind, a football mind as a manager as well, that, you know, the next step is important. And then Pep, you know, I, I don't think that no matter what happens moving forward at City, nobody's going to remember him as the manager of Bayern Munich. You know, that's always going to have been a stepping stone. But that stepping stone was really important. And it was a team that was dominant in the league. It was a team that had a huge war chest and that was inarguably richer than everybody else. And none of those things is true of Manchester United at the moment. And so even though I think that Zidane might be interested in that position moving forward in the summer with certain stipulations about transfer budget, he's also smart enough to know that his, you know, his stock is on the rise. There's no reason why he should put himself in the position of taking over a club that is struggling mid-season. You know, like that's not an enviable job. Nope. And I don't think he would touch it. I don't think he would touch it with a 10-foot pole. A 10-foot pole. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. If we move over to their crosstown rivals, Man City, they had to settle with a 1-1 draw against Wolves on Saturday morning. Um... Wolves took the lead in the 57th minute through Billy um, Bully, who, you know, that was a handball. He scored a goal with his hand. Yeah, it was that was the a hand handball. Of God. Yeah, maybe the hand of a lesser god than Maradona worships. You know, no, it, I, I don't see him wearing two Rolexes at one time, but you know, a did, god nonetheless. It did going <laughs> off the hand, and then Laporte, uh, Iamedic Laporte, uh, tied things up. Six ninth minute, Aguero almost. Got the win for City as he hit the bar deep into stoppage time. And he also had a shot go off the post in the first half. So uh, one point for City. I don't really feel like it's a sign of uh, alarm for City that they only got one point in this game. They no, were, it was, it was mean, more they were a little bit unlucky. For Wolves, it's a good point and something for them to build on. Absolutely. It's, and, you know, it's a great day for the supporters in Wolverhampton to go out and celebrate that like I was happy to see that for those fans and I think that if again speaking of clickbait you see any articles about a crisis at the Etihad then you should steer as far away from them as possible because it's total BS as you said Aguero hit the bar they hammered them moving forward they looked very dangerous on another day it could have been 3-1 City quite easily this is you know, this is a, a bump in the road, and I don't think that it, you know, it certainly doesn't derail their title chances. Um, and if anything, it might be a good wake-up call for the players that, you know, this is the Premier League, even if you're defending champions, even if you're arguable favorites to win the title, then the quality of the opposition is high, and you've got to be on your game in order to win your game. And I mean, good for Laporte to get off the mark as well. And so, yeah, yeah. Player I rate very, very highly. And so good for him on a personal level there, at least. God, yeah. they're so stacked. It's gross. They they're are. so stacked. Cake, cake on cake, as we say cake here. Cake on cake. Yep. Uh, at the top of the table right now on goal differential, Liverpool. They took a one nothing win over Brighton. 
Mohamed Salah with the lone goal in that game. So another close one for Liverpool. They, you know, they did, uh, let's see here. They had 70% possession. They had 14 shots, eight on target. Brighton had two shots on target. So they were dominating the game, but they only got away with a one nothing win. Although that's really all they need. So And that's all they needed to stay top of the table, even with goal difference. So Exactly. Yeah. So right now, Liverpool, they're sitting uh, plus seven, three clean sheets, which is, you know, impressive. Spurs plus six, Chelsea plus five, Watford plus five. So let's move over to uh, to Chelsea. A two to one win on the road against Newcastle. You know, a fairly even game, although you know. Yeah, it took Chelsea, a Yedlin on goal for all, Chelsea to get the win. Yeah, I was going to say, even though Chelsea had a vast majority of the ball possession, this one eighty-two percent. Yeah, that's that, that's even a lot if you're playing FIFA on easy. Yes, absolutely. And only three shots on target. Newcastle had two. Uh, we should say the goals came. 76 minutes, Edna started on a penalty. Then Hoselu tied it up in the 83rd. And then an own goal by DeAndre Yedlin in the 87th. Yeah. You know, for I think, Chelsea. yeah, this is actually even more impressive to me is that Chelsea had 91% pass accuracy throughout the match with over 900 passes, 914. Do you know how many passes completed Newcastle had? No. 200. Wow. 200. So you Less prob- than a quarter. So you probably had one or two players on Chelsea that had more passes than Newcastle as a team. That's prob- probably close, actually. I, I don't have the, the... I'd have to go to uh, Transfermarkt or one of the other more in-depth stats for that. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me that Eden Hazard had 200 passes in that game. No, or Jorginho for that or matter. Or Jorginho, well. yeah. I mean, I really like what I see here from Chelsea. I think they have a very, very good starting eleven. Oh and, yeah, of course. And now Eden Hazard, you know, starting, getting a goal. That central midfield, Kovacevic, Jorginho, Angolo Kante, that's really, really good. And then yeah, I mean, players I, like Alonso and Aspilicueta running up and down the wings. So. On any given day, I think that they can beat anyone. You know, I agree. I think that they, they're they certainly enjoying the right start to life after Conte that they would want. Um, I, I think they might be... They might still end up the best team to finish fourth in the Premier League in a very long time. Mm. Because I, you know... What I see from Tottenham is perhaps not as solid defensively. I would say, in fact, definitely not as solid defensively as Chelsea, although their goalkeeper is more proven in the Premier League, you have to say. Um, but at least as dangerous, if not more so, going forward. You know, they I mean, they don't have... N'Golo Conte is, I think, still the best defensive midfielder in the world. Marcus Alonso is a phenomenal fullback and also really dangerous moving forward. But I don't see them overtaking Tottenham. I don't see them overtaking Liverpool. And I don't see them overtaking City. So I agree. They're, they're a very good team who could beat anyone, not merely in the Premier League, but on their day, I think they could beat anyone in the world, especially if Morata finally finds his feet in England. Yeah, absolutely. But that is that mean. is key. That is definitely key. Or if Hazard has one of those you know crazy, crazy seasons where he scores 20-plus goals. 
Um, but yeah, Morata needs to start chipping in some goals. He really needs to. Watford, the other unbeaten or the other team with nine points after three games, they took a two to one win at home over Crystal Palace. Pereira and Holibas with the goals for them. Zaha scored for Palace. And very nice start for Watford. Uh, is it too early for them to start adjusting their goals for the season? Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's. And on that note, I have to I have to look to Claudio Ranieri, right? In terms of the way that all the way leading the Premier League, you know, all the way through February, like our you know our goal is like secure safety. Now we're shooting for the Champions League. Once we secure Champions League, dilly ding, dilly dong. You know, only only kind of incrementally working towards this is becoming a realistic possibility. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and I think that without that, Leicester probably would not have been able to do, achieve what they achieved, which is, is still, you know, I, and I know it's a few years ago now, but that achievement is arguably unparalleled in professional sports. You know, it, it's just it's so phenomenal what Claudio Ranieri and the Foxes did in winning the premiership. And. If you're going to do that, I think that that exact mentality. I mean, and you know, what other model are you going to build on, right? Like they they did it. They won the league. Leicester City were champions of England. So yeah, no, I think you can't adjust your expectations. You can't adjust your goals. You have to kind of stay realistic with the same goals that you came into the season. And I think that you know, and even if you're being ambitious from a Watford perspective, I think that ambition has to be. We want to be mid-table and challenging for Europa League. Like, yeah. Even that, even that would be that's ambitious. A, that's to a big ask. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not so, and I'm sure they're in fourth now, but yeah. Looking at their next five games, I mean, this is really where we're we'll see where what they're made of. First, they take on Reading in the second round of the Carabao Cup on Wednesday. Then they got Spurs at home, United at home. Fulham on the road and then Arsenal on the road. Yeah, so, I mean those are and especially you know, Fulham now kind of finding their feet in the Premier League themselves. I think that that is a that's that's where we're going to see them now. But again, realistic expectations. If from those fixtures they come out with only two points, eleven points at that point in the season, that's not that's not bad. That's not bad at all. No, we'll we'll see, but for now they can fly high as they are only one of four teams with three straight wins to open up the season. Arsenal, 3-1 win at home over West Ham. Nice little London Derby win there. West Ham did take the lead in this one. Arnautovic, 25th minute. Then Nacho Monreal tied it up in the 30th. And then in second goal, we second half, we got an own goal by Diop. And then Welbeck scored in stoppage time. I mean, the most important thing is three points. The most important thing is three points. The most important thing is three points. And yet, <laughs> I mean, this Arsenal team is just as, if not perhaps, more woeful at defending than they were last season. And I am, at this point, not convinced that we're going to be able to keep a clean sheet against 
anyone <laughs> in the Premier League. Maybe okay. maybe we'll keep a clean sheet in the Europa League. Well, but maybe when you take on United, who knows? Yeah, well we'll see. I mean and and I, I want to qualify that by saying like yes, I think that actually we are as bad, if not worse, defensively than we were at the end of the last season under Arsene Wenger. And I say that because A, I think it's pretty clear that Czech made some phenomenal saves in this match. He's made some phenomenal saves all season. I still think it's clear that he is a legendary player who is inarguably beginning his decline. And two, we're implementing a new system, right? And so no matter how well suited your players are for that system, which nobody could argue that these players are perfectly suited for it because the vast majority were brought in under a different manager with a different schema, like even if they're perfectly suited for that system, it still takes a while for that to sink in. And we're seeing those growing pains. I'm hoping that, you know, this is kind of half a step back, two steps forward, but we were already pretty far back in terms of the woeful defending that we have. And I said last week that it's hard for me to envision uh, defense, no matter what the system, with Mustafi at the center of the park, that's going to be solid against the quality of the opposition you face every week in the Premier League. And I still am of that mind, and that is why I would not bet on Arsenal to keep a clean sheet against anyone this season. That said, I also think that we've yet to really hit our stride moving forward. I mean, this is a team that is going to win some thrilling football matches. They're going to win some games 4-2. And they're also going to win, like lose some crushing football matches 4-1. So it's, it is a fascinating and also nerve-wracking time to be an Arsenal supporter. Yeah. Do you know the timetable on uh, Koscielny and when... When will he be back? He's back in training. He's actually ahead of schedule. Okay. So, um, and also, unlike, you know, tragically for him, especially given the ultimate outcome of the tournament, he did not play in the World Cup, obviously, and so therefore he doesn't have that kind of fatigue concern. But they're going to be careful with him, and they should be, because, you know, that, and it's, it still remains to be seen if he's ever going to be the kind of player he was previously. I certainly hope he will be. I think there's a decent chance he will be. Uh, but he's had chronic problems with the Achilles, and that's a tough injury to come back from when you're early in your early 20s, much less your early 30s. So they should be careful, despite the you know frustrations that I have with Mustafi. They've got to be careful. He is back in training. I don't think that realistically we're going to see him before, much before the end of September, and even then probably the last week of September to be realistic. But you stand fast that Mustafi is not a player that should be in the starting eleven. Absolutely not. Okay. He is at best the quality of a player who's going to be struggling to avoid relegation. And you know, I know that he is a capped German international. I. Do not foresee him getting any more caps for Dimanshaft. I mean, when they first signed him, I thought it could actually turn out to be a pretty good signing. I thought so too. And I mean, maybe he's just in the midst of several dark nights of the soul on end. And now it's been several dark years of the soul. (laughs) And he's just low on confidence. I guess that could be it. I mean, he has a lot of the raw 
you know, the raw materials in terms of his size and his strength and his, I mean, he's not the fastest in the world. He's not as quick as Koscielny was at Koscielny's peak by any means. Um, but, you know, he's not as slow as some others, certainly not per motorcycle slow, but he also doesn't have the discipline of per motorcycle. He doesn't have half the discipline of per motorcycle. And I don't trust him. These, these, I'll, I'll break down my frustrations with Mustafi into two parts. On the one hand, I don't trust him to stay calm in moments of potential crisis, and that leads to or compounds the crisis, or even in moments where it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong at all, and it creates a chance out of nothing for the opposition. And two, I also don't trust him to read the game effectively. And that, to me, is the most frustrating thing, because you can talk about levels of confidence in terms of, like, getting shaky and nervy and giving up possession foolishly or like going to ground rashly when you're just on edge and you're not feeling confident in your play. But, you know, when there, obviously you should be covering the space in behind from Murata and you don't even see it. And then he runs in behind you, turns you and scores a goal. And you could say, oh, well, yeah, it was last ditch defending. What could I do? Well, what you could have done is read the danger and avoid it ever materializing. And he never does that. And I don't trust him to. And honestly, at this point in his career, I'm not sure that he ever will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let's uh, move over to Fulham. They took a 4-2 win over Burnley. Um, Siri got the opening goal in the fourth minute. Mitrovic scored a brace. Shirley got on the scoreboard as well. Hendrik and Tarkovsky scored for Burnley. But nice win for Fulham there. And I think it's pivotal that they got Mitrovic going. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, they're, I had to eat some crow myself at the beginning of this season, thinking that they were going to start really strong at home in their derby um, against Crystal Palace, which they surely did not. Uh, but this is a good team. This is a team that was good in the championship. This is a team that still has a lot of players, you know, excuse me, I should say a lot of staff around the grounds that remember when they were a Premier League staple. And they have a lot of really strong signings in specifically Mitrovic and Shirla, that they're both on the score sheet. You know, fans of the Cottagers should be ecstatic. And I, I still rate them to avoid the drop, despite their slightly shaky start to life returning to the Premier League. Yep, I, I totally agree. I think they they made some smart signings, and um, you know Mitrovic got a lot of flack when he didn't really catch on at Newcastle, but after going alone to Fulham and sort of finding his confidence, and now you know getting a pretty good start to the season here, I think he can be a very very solid Premier League forward. So uh, we'll see how things shake out down the road here. But surely, well, yeah, surely, I mean, he has the capabilities of playing in a much, much bigger team than Fulham. Not, yeah, no offense I, to Fulham fans. Well, and I should, you know, we should also say that, you know, we should not uh, discount the other player who got on the score sheet here. Jean-Michel Serri, the Avorian scored a belter for yes. their opening goal. Yep. And I think that, you know, maybe perhaps even further, another encouraging thing in this match from specifically a Fulham perspective is you know when you when you go up early right away and then you concede an equalizer quickly because he scored in the fourth minute and then Burnley equalized in the tenth and they didn't drop their heads 
They got two more before halftime. Even when Burnley pulled them, pulled one back, they still, you know, they they pushed forward. They got the insurance goal through Shirley in the 83rd minute, and that's exactly what you want to see is not only your team scoring goals going forward, but not dropping their heads, especially after, you know, having that rocky start in the last couple matches. So, yeah, Cottagers going forward, I still rate them to avoid the drop, and I'm happy to see them get this win at home. Yeah, it was a good good outing for them. 22 shots, 12 on target. So you can't complain about that. And then we come to the red card fiesta. I was going to say <laughs> red card fest. Uh, first, we had one in Leicester, Southampton. Leicester won that 2-1. to one. It was, um, uh, let's see, Pierre Biari who got the red card after picking up two yellows. Um, you know, Solid win for Leicester on the road. Harry Maguire scored in stoppage time to secure the win for the Foxes. Uh, Demary Gray also got on the score sheet. Ryan Bertrand scored for Southampton. And then we had a one red card between the uh, Huddersfield Town and Cardiff City. Jonathan Hogg got sent off straight red. That was a scoreless draw. That was on NBC Sports Gold. And then we had Bournemouth Everton. It ended in a 2 2 draw and two red cards. So, Cliff notes on this Everton went up 2 0 in the second half. It was 56 minute Theo Walcott, 66 minute Michael Keane. Then Joshua King scored from the penalty spot in the 75th minute. And Nathan Aki tied things up in the 79th minute. And here we saw Richard Lisson. Who, of course, after a phenomenal start to the season here, I put into my fantasy team and make him captain, and he goes and pulls this crap. <laughs> so negative yeah, four, I mean, negative got, four points got, for me. Th- although this is the great poetic justice of it, is that he totally got baited into it by Adam Smith. Yep. And then Smith gets himself sent off. You know, and it, also, what, what a match, right? Like, for all the world looked... That, you know, it, it was, it, I remember watching, you know, I subsequently watched the highlights, but it was playing opposite the Arsenal game and pointing out to my friend, like, oh, they got, you know, Everton got a red card. Oh, wait, Everton scored. Oh, and Bournemouth got a red card. Oh, Everton scored again. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. It was, this was, I think, for my money, maybe not in terms of, oh, my God, City got a draw. Or, you know, there were six goals in the full match as opposed to only four here. Still, for me, the match of match day three. Nope. Plenty of action there. Like you said, Adam Smith got a straight red in the 61st minute. Um, so four red cards just on Saturday. Yeah. Showing um, that the uh, the refs are not messing around. We had three red cards on match day two and one on match week one. So look for five red cards next week. No. <laughs> all to Richarlison. Yep. Yep. All the red cards. Yeah. He's man. Now he's suspended. I got to switch him out. Yeah. I had Keen as my, uh, or Kane as my, uh, captain before this. And I was yeah, like, yeah. That one. And I was like, yeah, yeah I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to have him captain against United, but oh, well, so gotta hedge your bets sometimes, bro. So there we have it. So my uh, my poor poor fantasy team. I'm right now. Let's see. I'm ranked one hundred and thirteen thousand nine hundred and thirty in the U.S. 
So, uh, <laughs> not so, not doing too well. Nope. Mm. Okay, so we got the Carabao Cup second round coming up midweek. Uh, we'll talk about that in our next episode if there's anything extraordinary that happens. But, you know, these early rounds, you know, I'm having a hard time getting really excited. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch any of these fixtures. I'll be quite honest with you. Mm. Um, although... I have to also say that even though I mentioned that, one of my favorite teams, Burton Albion FC, is featuring this week against another one of my favorite teams. Oh, excuse me. Not one of my favorite teams. Not in that, the League Cup, anyway, because they play AFC, AFC Wimbledon afterwards in the league. But I like them just because their logo is a big bear and they're the Brewers. Mm. Beer and bears and football. What more do you want? Yep. No, that's true. I think the just looking at it real quick here. I think Nottingham Forest against Newcastle that might be a good game to watch. That's on Wednesday. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Um. Well, I mean, come on, Seb. Last year you were struggling to get up for the League Cup, even winning it. So. No, that's very very true. I'm more, uh, much more interested in the Champions League qualifiers. Ah, yes, fair. So. Um, that will definitely be some good good watching, hopefully. Okay, with that, we're going to say goodbye for this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better. And then you can follow one Yank, one Swede. That's the number one, and then Yank, and then the number one, and then Swede. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.